Hello, and welcome to Sundays at Coastal. This week, Pastor Paul Dugan continues our study in Acts chapter 3. The restoration of all things and the reuniting of heaven and earth has always been the goal of the gospel. The first fruit of this epic restoration was the resurrection of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. When he returns, heaven and earth will be fully reunited and healed. But we don't have to wait till his return to taste these times of refreshment. We get these foretastes as we gather in worship, as we listen to the scriptures together, share our lives together, pray together, and serve one another and the world in Jesus' name. Coastal Community Church is an amazing church. I'm rather biased. Um, we have three core beliefs that lead to three core choices. It's a simple Jesus Church. And the three core beliefs are that there is hope beyond this world's brokenness. Is that good news? Beyond the brokenness of my life and the way I break others, there's hope beyond that. And that hope floods into my life as I trust my risen Savior and not myself, as I learn to trust him. And he just propels us out, like Deanna, to be a part of the restoration work in our community with people who are also broken and needing hope. And that's where the great joy is, is, is being able to be an instrument of his blessing. Amen, Deanna? Um, that's where the real fun is. And so that's what our church is about. And it leads, those three beliefs lead to three choices. Can you say them with me? I choose to be a disciple of Jesus today. A disciple is one who walks intentionally with God. Therefore, choose to be changed by Jesus. I choose to seek Jesus first. And I choose to join Jesus in his resurrection work. We were never meant to do this disciple journey on our own. There's no Lone Ranger Christians. Amen? We're called to journey in community, and we have this coastal pathway to help you connect with others in community and take your next steps in Jesus wherever you're at on the journey. There's a place for you. This pathway includes a variety of small groups, outreach teams, including Alpha, Table Talk, which happens right after this across the street in the low patio, DNA groups. If you see our website, mycoastal.org, or talk to me, it's my privilege to serve as the pastor of the pathway. And I have great joy. You can make my day by allowing me to help you find your place on the pathway. You want to make my day, let me do that. Amen? So Kathy and I had the privilege of exploring Iceland during our vacation last month. It's really like that. We love wild open spaces. Iceland is epic, full of glaciers and geysers and volcanoes and lava formations and fjords and, of course, these beautiful Icelandic horses with these manes that are blowing in the wind. Iceland is majestic. We took 10 days to do the entire ring road, they call it, around Iceland. In our little rental car, a Toyota Yaris hybrid, Thank God it was a hybrid, because guess how much they pay for gas in Iceland? $10.50 a gallon. You thought you had it bad in California. I was just thanking God for 50 miles a gallon. 
What a road trip. You see the white? All the white in there is glaciers. As we returned to Reykjavik, the capital, it was my job to return the rental car. I was rushing to get it back by 5 p.m. to avoid another day's fees. You know how that is. But I wanted to swing by a car wash to clean it up because many of our miles in Iceland were on gravel roads. And I didn't want to be docked for that. <laughs> but Kathy urged me, don't bother, just turn it in. They expect their cars to be well used. Did I listen to my wife? Ignoring her advice, I rushed over to the car wash. It was one of those coin-operated self-serving washes. I pulled into the stall, got out to pay, and the car kept moving forward right into the wall with a crunch. You see, being a hybrid, it was silent when I stopped and I thought it had been in park and it was still in drive. I just stood there appalled. And to make it worse, this Icelandic dude in the stall right next to me just stood there and laughed. And you know, laughter transcends language. <laughs> and he was really saying, you fool. I felt a lot of compassion at that moment. And this is what was going through my mind. I thought, I have just carefully driven this car hundreds of miles all around, all forms of epic road conditions in Iceland. And yet, in just 10 minutes before returning it, I crash it. And if you look carefully, the, the, the hood is dented and the grill was all messed up. And then a thought came to my mind. What if I keep this as my own little secret? Do I really need to tell the guy at the car rental? I'm sure they get all kinds of cars with issues. Let them figure it out. And more fearfully, I thought, do I really need to tell Kathy? <laughs> Who has labored for months to plan an economical trip. The last thing she needs to hear is that we just added one to $2,000 more to our trip expenses for a rental car crash. So what do you think I did? You think high, more highly than I. Well, you're going to have to wait to hear what happened later in my sermon. This is a, this is a technique to get you to stay, you know. <laughs> Can we pause and pray and just affirm the power of his name? If you'd like, please pray after me. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, my King and my Savior, you are welcome in this place. Show us the power of your name. Right here, right now. Amen. So Acts begins with these words by the author Luke. In my first account, I wrote about all the things that Jesus began to do and teach. What is he referring to, his first account? Luke is referring to the gospel that now bears his name. You see, the book of Acts is volume two. The things that the risen Jesus continued to do and teach by his spirit in and through his band of disciples, the church. Luke Acts is a seamless two-part narrative telling the story of Jesus, of the spirit, 
and the early church on mission. Acts is called in your Bible, Acts of the what? But the much more accurate title for Acts is the Acts of Jesus and the Spirit. Can we rename it right now? Scratch out apostles and put Jesus and the Spirit. And the first great act of Acts was the outpouring of what? In chapter 2. Of the Holy Spirit in the temple on the Jewish day of what? Pentecost. When visitors from throughout the ancient world were gathered in Jerusalem, thousands of people. After Peter's powerful message to the crowd, 3,000 people were saved and gathered into a community of disciples, this new multi-ethnic family of Jesus. Acts 2 closes with this glimpse, a window, into the dynamic life of this new community as they gather daily in worship, experience the, the presence and power of God, sharing meals, we believe in sharing meals, selling their possessions, and practicing radical generosity with those in need. The risen Jesus was at the very center. We just sang it, be the center of our lives. And daily, new people were being saved, and joining their ranks. Is that exciting? That brings us to chapter 3. Last week, Andy preached on the story of the crippled man. By the way, Andy gets a well-deserved vacation. So you're stuck with me the next few weeks. (laughs) So Andy preached on the story of the crippled man who is placed at the temple gate called Beautiful. I love that. This is the passageway between the court of the Gentiles and the inner temple area. The man begged Peter and John for a handout, and what did he get? He got more than he bargained for. Peter looked at him intently and declared, silver and gold we don't have. I could just see his face falling. But in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk, and he did. He didn't just walk, he danced like like Henry dances every Sunday morning. Do you see the break dancing going on today? That was serious Holy Spirit dancing. That was like David in the temple right there. This is what he was doing. He was break dancing. He moves into the temple, the place where he had been barred from because of his disability, and he's walking and leaping and break dancing in Jesus. And of course, this drew a crowd because everyone knew about this ex-cripple As the amazed crowd gathered around Peter and John and the healed man in the part of the temple called Solomon's Porch, you'll see it there, Peter stands up, and chapter 3, verse 12, can you read it with me? Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? Why stare at us as though we made this man walk by our own power or godliness? You see, God acts in power, and we so often misinterpret it. We see the same pattern in chapter 2 of Acts, where the Spirit came on the waiting believers in the temple with wind and fire and miraculous languages, and yet the crowd thought the believers were what? Drunk. God acts, we misinterpret it. This time God acts in healing, and the crowds think somehow Peter and John made this happen. They want to turn them into celebrities, as if their power and piety brought this healing. Friends, I have a good friend who is a pastor of a church in the Northwest 
that experience a dramatic outpouring of the Holy Spirit with amazing signs and wonders and growth. And it was a Presbyterian church. It's amazing. That's miraculous. But the movement went off the tracks within a few years, leaving many people disillusioned. So much so that my friend decided to quit the ministry and go study theology in London. His doctorate focused on this one question. Why do revivals sometimes go wrong? And his conclusion from five years of studying theology at King's College is revivals go wrong when people take their focus off Jesus and put something else at the center, a personality, a place, or a practice. Oh, we've got to go hear this special person who has the anointing and follow his teaching and get him follow his YouTubes and go to his seminars because that's where who God is moving through or with this place we've got to go to the city where God is moving or this church of the happening place or a particular practice or method or technique that gets us to release God's power have you heard these things before in American church this is how revivals go bad the people in Acts chapter 3 were about to create a personality cult, and Peter would have none of it. Look at verse 12. He boldly declares, this is not about us. This, what you see, this man standing here, is all about Jesus. Amen? Peter went on to connect the healing with the healer. And this is what the church does when it proclaims the good news. We help one another connect the healing with the healer. Amen? That's the gospel. And again, like the pattern in Acts 2, Peter takes the people back to the Bible. Can you read with me verse 13? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You see, the Jewish listeners knew this special name, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because this was the name, the same name that was revealed to Moses at the burning bush in Exodus 3. This is not an abstract, aloof, ethereal God. This is the God of named persons, earthy characters like ourselves who had both great flaws and great faith. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and yes, Moses too, who was himself a fugitive murderer. To Moses, this God said, I see my people. Burdened by brutal slavery in Egypt, I hear their cries, and I'm coming down to deliver them and bring them through the water, through the wilderness, all the way to Sinai, where I'm going to marry my people. Enter into a covenant with them. They will be my people, and I will be their God. You see, Peter's connecting this crippled man's, ex-crippled man's healing with the Savior of Israel, the God of the Exodus, the God of the Covenant. You see how he's connecting the dots. And note how he continues to connect the dots between the Exodus story and the Jesus story. He says that the God of Israel is now at work in and through his servant Jesus. Friends, the whole Bible 
is a single unified story that points to Jesus. By the way, if you struggle with connecting the dots in the Bible, like many of us do, I heartily, you guys know I'm a fan of the tools on the BibleProject.com. They're all about helping you connect the larger story of God. So Peter then, like a good uh, preacher, gets ready to turn the tables. When he says, this is the same Jesus you handed over and rejected. Can you read verse 14 with me? You rejected this holy, righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of the fact. Now, we know for a fact that not all Peter's hearers on that day were physically present at the trial of Jesus, where the crowds cried out, give us Barabbas. But Peter is implying that we were all there in spirit because it was our sin that executed Jesus. You see, Jesus, the totally innocent, holy, righteous one, the one who perfectly makes God visible in word and deed, in truth and grace, and in fierce and tender love, we exchanged that Jesus for a murderer. Friends, can I be blunt? I am responsible for the death of Jesus. And so are you. My sin and your sin put him to death. Friends, we are not victims. We are not passive observers. We are responsible, Peter said. This is the connection between the tree in Genesis 3 and the tree of Calvary. We have chosen to take the fruit, preferred our own autonomy over trusting our good creator. We have all chosen to define good and evil on our own terms. And this choice has infected all of creation. Someone had to be hung on a tree to heal the sickness. His name is Jesus. We put him there. But thank God, there's a but. In the, I love to follow the buts in the New Testament. But God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this fact. Amen? <laughs> And friends, this is the central message of the Gospel of Acts. Peter and the apostles constantly say, this Jesus, whom you crucified, God raised, and we are witnesses of the fact. You see, faith is not a blind leap in the dark. It's not primarily an idea or a philosophy or an emotional experience or a technique. It's not based on a personality, a place, or a practice. Amen? Our faith is grounded in an event, an act in history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As Israel's faith was anchored in an exodus event, our faith is anchored in a resurrection event. Amen? And nothing can take that event away from you. The world has never been the same. Peter describes Jesus as the author of life. Stories are so powerful. All of us are being shaped by a story, whether we like it or not, whether we're conscious of it or not. A story written by our family history, by our culture, our generation. We baby boomers have a story. Our nation, our political preferences. Stories define for us what our tribe believes is good, true, and beautiful, and successful. 
Stories shape our identity. Stories form us, and stories deform us. You guys with me? And here's the good news. As the author of life, God in Jesus is rewriting the human story. He is writing us into God's freedom story, a story that has at its climax a resurrection. It's only in this epic story that you and I find our true identity and purpose. This is the story of the Bible, a single unified narrative that leads to Jesus. Can I ask you a question, friends? What story is shaping your life, consciously or unconsciously? Who is writing your story? Discipleship is paying attention to the stories that have been shaping our lives and the stories that have been deforming our lives and choosing God's story. Back to Peter. He said, we are witnesses of the fact. The Greek word for witnesses is martyries. What's that sound like? It's from which we get the word martyr. You see, there's a cost to bearing witness to this risen Lord, especially in a culture shot through with competing lords. Most of the early apostles paid for their profession with their lives. We will soon discover from Acts chapter 3 on that the early church faced profound resistance at every step of the way. You see, the gospel is a life and death reality. And so can I ask you another question? If you lived your daily life as if Jesus Christ is truly the risen Lord, what difference would it make? The early disciples lived it, and many suffered for their allegiance to King Jesus. I ask you, what are you willing to suffer for? Martyr. We are witnesses. Peter again calls attention. Remember, this whole time, the case study of the gospel is this ex-crippled man standing in the middle of the crowd. You guys with me? He's been breakdancing. He's just smile. He's got a smile like this. Peter again calls attention to him in verse 16. Can you read it with me? Through faith, in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Can I geek out a little bit on Greek here? It says, through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was holakria. That word means he was given completeness, soundness, wholeness, where all the parts of his life have been knit together. And then he says, faith in his name has healed him. The second healed word is a different word, stereo. Through the power of the name, the faith that comes through Jesus, this man stands before you, stereo, made firm, strengthened, solid, settled, grounded. Uh, You know, he was not very grounded as a cripple, and now he's grounded, he has a place to stand. This is the gospel, friends. You've heard of John 3.16? This is Acts 3.16. Through the power of the name of Jesus, we are made whole. Can you say amen to that? Tom Wright on this verse says this, The name of Jesus makes people grow up, become whole people, rinsed out and renewed, standing on their own physically, morally, spiritually, and personally. 
Believing in Jesus and the power of his name is the way to wholeness in the 21st century as well as the first. Good words. Verse 17, say it with me. Friends, I realize that what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance. But God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he must suffer this thing. These words remind me so much of the words of Joseph to his brothers at the end of Genesis. Reflecting back on their brutal and unjust treatment, he said with compassion, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Peter is again connecting the story of Jesus with the larger story of God in Scripture, particularly the story that was unfolded by the prophets. You know, we spent the spring season in a flyby sermon series in the great book of Isaiah. Do you guys remember that? And at the heart of Isaiah are the servant songs in chapter 40 to 55, where he speaks of a new kind of king who will come to liberate captive Israel, not through power and dominance and personality, but through suffering love. This king would become our representative. We sang about this in amazing love to bear our sin, experiences shame and rejection and judgment, all to make us whole. Peter is connecting the dots between this man's healing and the suffering servant, King Jesus. And now, like a good preacher, he draws a line in the sand and calls for a decision. Can you read it with me in verse 19? Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Some refreshment may come from the presence of the Lord and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. You cannot remain passive in the presence of this Jesus. You need to make an active decision to turn around. That's what repent means, turn around. Whenever the good news of the resurrection is proclaimed in Acts, it was always connected to a call to change, choosing to be changed by Jesus. Peter is laying out the challenge. If this is really true about Jesus, what difference does it make in your life? So can I turn you back to my rental car story now? After my car rolled into the wall and crunched at that car wash, I had a choice. I could pretend it didn't happen. I could rationalize it. It's not that big deal. And by the way, you know, why do they make these hybrids so quiet that you don't know when they're in the park? <laughs> or I could hope no one at the Reykjavik car rental would notice the damage. Or, most fearfully, I could hope my wife would not notice the damage to our credit card statement. This is what we do when we choose not to repent. We rationalize, we hide, we pretend, we deny reality, and we rewrite our story. And I just want to say, this living of a lie takes so much effort and energy. The choice not to repent is exhausting. Can you say amen to that? Do you know that story? It's exhausting. Constantly having to rewrite your story. And so, the Holy Spirit came on me on the way to drop off the car <laughs> with the voice, you gotta come clean, Paul. And so I did. I just walked right in that rental, and the first thing I said is I 
crunched the front of the car. He came out, took pictures. It was really fun. He told me how much it was going to cost. That was fun. But the hardest part was coming home to tell Kathy. That was fun. You see, this is repentance. We can either write our own story or let Jesus write our story. Repentance is the choice to give up the job of being my own author. That's my best definition of repentance. Giving up the job of being my own author and give that job back to Jesus, the author of life. He's the author of my life and, my, and yours, and he is writing a beautiful story. Amen. You see, through repentance, there's fruit, Paul says, Peter says. Our sins are obliterated. That's the literal word for wiped out. My bad record of rebellion and pride and envy and lust and greed and resentment and chasing after false gods, it could all be washed away. Is that good news? I can start with a clean slate. And there's more. I love this word Peter uses. He says that repentance leads to times of refreshment from the presence of the Lord. And the literal meaning of that beautiful word is recovering our breath. Everybody take a deep breath right now. It means resuscitation. It means revival. It means renovation. This all comes from the presence of the Lord. What images come to your mind when you think of moments of refreshment, of renewal, of recovery? I think of this moment, my favorite picture from Iceland, captured when we were in southern Iceland. It was a multi-sensory refreshment. We saw the beauty of the water careening over the cliff and how the light captured the mist against the majestic blue sky and the cloud formations. Can you see it? This is the part you can't experience. Is we heard the roar. I wish the picture could capture that. The roar of the sound when that tons of water pummeled down into the river. You had to yell to talk to each other. It was so loud. And, and then you felt the refreshing, cool mist. It was actually a hot day in Iceland that day. It's kind of ironically a hot day in Iceland. The Holy Spirit, friends, brings moments of refreshment like this. Amen? I was wondering, who is thirsty for refreshment in the presence of the Lord? Anybody here? No. Verse 3, chapter 3, verse 21, can you read it with me? For he must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things. It's promised long ago through his holy prophets. The kingdom has come in Jesus, friends, but we still await the final restoration. Not everyone is healed like the man at the beautiful gate when we pray for them. I have a dear friend. I came back from my vacation to find out she's been diagnosed with stage four cancer. Begins chemo tomorrow. Though I know she will be healed in the final resurrection, I long for her healing now. Amen. There's still so much in our world that is wrong, unjust, broken, twisted, and evil. So much suffering. In the midst of every kind of suffering through the ages, this has always been the hope of the gospel. God is not finished with us. Can you say that with me? God is not finished with us. The restoration of all things is still to come. 
Can I sum up the whole story of the Bible in this restoration story with four slides? Can I do that? Ready? Put on your seatbelts. First, God created heaven and earth, heaven being God's space, and earth being our space, to fully overlap as in Eden in Genesis 1 and 2. Just perfect beauty and shalom. But our rebellion quickly brought a rift between the two spaces. But God promised to restore the rift between heaven and earth, first by entering into a covenant with his people, Israel, and giving them the gift of the tabernacle, that place of overlap, later the temple, that became the clean space where heaven and earth could begin to come together again. And in the fullness of time, that temple became a person. What is his name? Jesus Christ became the place where heaven and earth has most perfectly come together. Amen? Full of grace and truth. But this Jesus did not remain in the safe, clean space. He went out into earth's dark spaces, and he sent his disciples, y'all, to do the same, bringing pockets of heaven's healing into this present darkness. Amen? These circles are little bands of disciples, followers of Jesus, gathered as churches. Look around at each other. Y'all are looking at a pocket of heaven's healing on earth, right here in the five cities. Y'all are looking at a pocket of heaven and earth right here in this band of misfits. Is that cool? And God will not stop until heaven and earth are fully reunited as in Eden. This is the great restoration Peter refers to in Acts 3 and that we see through, throughout the prophets all the way to Revelation that God is going to make all things new. You see, the first fruits of this epic restoration was the resurrection of Jesus and the outpouring of the Spirit. It was like the, the first deposit of restoration. What God did for the body, the dead body of Jesus on the first Easter, he's going to do for all creation. He's going to make all things new. And when he returns, heaven and earth will be fully reunited, fully healed. Do you long for that? We don't have to wait, friends, till his final return to taste these times of refreshment. When we gather in the presence of our risen Lord in the church, the new temple of the Holy Spirit, we experience these foretastes, advanced anticipatory experiences of the full and final refreshment to come. We get these foretastes as we gather and worship with other flawed followers like us, as we listen to the scriptures together, as we share our lives together, as we pray together, as we serve one another in the world. In Jesus' name, we taste a, a little bit of the coming together of heaven and earth. And as we do, we sense this is what we were made for. Amen? So let me ask you the question. If this is true about our risen Lord and his restoration story, what difference does it make in your life? And when I think about your life, I think of all the hats you wear during the week as a parent, as a sibling, as a child, as an employee, as an employer, as a neighbor, as a citizen. If Jesus is the risen Lord, what are the implications for all the hats you wear in your life? As one theologian said, if he's not Lord at all, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. 
as we turn, we always need to reject falsehoods if we're going to experience the freedom of this story. Repentance is the doorway to refreshment. And I identified six falsehoods that Peter challenges us to unlearn. The first one is, I am not responsible for the death of Jesus. Would you like to reject that lie? <laughs> the truth is, is my sin and yours. Put him in the cross. He chose it. He bears it. So own it. And own the, both the responsibility but also the gift. A second falsehood is faith is just a blind leap in the dark. Friends, tr the truth is faith is personal allegiance to a God who has acted in history to reverse death through his risen son. The resurrection event is a fact of history and the very foundation of your faith. Your, your faith is not based on your performance or your feelings or the approval of others. Your faith is grounded in a man who rose from the grave. Amen? Third falsehood is our own power and piety makes things happen around here. Or I have to follow a particular person, place, or practice to get in on what God is doing. Friends, that is a lie from the pit. The truth is only Jesus heals. Amen? Only Jesus restores, revives, refreshes, renovates. It's all Jesus. We want it as a church to be a Jesus church. To point to him. The fourth falsehood is the Old Testament and the New Testament have different gods. That's another big lie that's existed from the second century on. The truth is, is the Bible is a single unified story of one God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who has most perfectly revealed himself in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he is coming again to judge and restore all things. Amen. The fifth falsehood is, I can be restored without repentance. That's a big lie. The truth is, repentance is the doorway to my entering God's freedom story. Repentance is the path to renewal. And finally, the last falsehood is, God is finished with me, with this messed up world. We're too far gone. Have you ever thought that? The truth is you are living in the middle of God's story. God is relentless in his mission to restore all things to his original Eden design. And get this, you have a part to play in that restoration, renovation project. Is that cool? Just as Deanna did, just as we do, as we step out and allow the Holy Spirit to use us to bring a piece of heaven to the darkness of our world. So hear the words of Peter. By the way, the ex-denier of our Lord. Now, repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins would be wiped away and times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. Can we pray for that refreshment right now? Just want to pray you through that beautiful acronym, ACTS. First, A stands for what? Adoration. God, we thank you that you are. What are you praising him for? What is true about him? And C stands for what? 
Confession, God, I admit that I am And what's T stand for? Thanksgiving. Some of you want to pray it out, Lord. I thank you for, speak it out. What are some of your thanksgivings? Speak it out loud. Family, friends, hope, your church, your provision. You're not finished. Thank you, Lord. And S is just, please, Lord, come now, Lord, in your refreshing power. Like that beautiful waterfall, I pray you be poured out on us. And that that pouring out would just literally bubble into springs, into our families, neighborhoods, workplaces, and into the really messy and broken places in our lives. The spring, the living water of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. I invite you to continue to respond to his promptings as we sing this beautiful song. Let's do that right now. Father, we, we welcome you into every corner of our lives this week. We welcome you into the five cities in this county and, and every place where our foot trods. King Jesus, you are welcome in every corner of our lives to bring wholeness to bring healing, to bring heaven on earth. God, many of us are suffering in this place and we so long for the full restoration. I pray that that anchor, that God is not finished, that we're in the middle of the story, will keep us focused this week. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus and the love of God the Father and the koinonia of the Holy Spirit be with you all. If you'd like some really good coffee and some good conversation and some new friends with some amazing people. Join us across the street. That white picket fence, has, that house has a patio and we, we meet together right after this. And if I can pray with you, if we can pray with you, stand with you in prayer here in the front, please allow us to bless you all. Thank you guys, have a great day. Pastor Paul Dugan is the pastor of Mission and Discipleship at Coastal Community Church. It's located in Grover Beach, California, and serves communities across the Central Coast. Join us online each week on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. for our weekly live stream. We also have two in-person services at 9 a.m. and 10.40 a.m. in our sanctuary. Coastal Community Church is located at 1830 Farrell Road, Grover Beach, California. For more information, visit our website, www.mycoastal.org. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you have a great week.